This is Talking Work. I'm Deborah Ishihara. Everyone's talking about AI these days, but what do we really know about the likely impact on the workplace of the future? Who better to ask than the OECD, who've been collecting data on the uptake of these new technologies, and in particular, thinking about who in the workforce might suffer the greatest turbulence in the coming years? Welcome to Talking Work, the employment law podcast by Yus Laboris. In each episode, we invite a different guest to discuss what's happening in the world of work. If you're an HR professional of any kind, this podcast is for you. We recently had a fascinating discussion with Stin Brooker, senior economist and leader of the Future of Work initiative at the OECD. My colleague Susanna Gavorgian asked Stin where all this is going and what kind of action employers should take in response. Playing the interview for you now. Talking about employment market, we know that last several years it has gone significant changes and uh, influenced by different factors, including pandemic. And what right now we see actually that uh, artificial intelligence uh, is uh, expected to continue shaping employment market. Uh, I know that at this moment, maybe it's still a bit early to talk about the precise impact artificial intelligence will have on employment market, but still already we can see kind of trends and forecast uh, the future. Uh, So actually what I would like to ask you is what can we expect? What structural changes might occur due to automation and adoption of AI technologies? And is there a potential risk of increased polarization between higher paid and low paid workers? Okay, so these are all very good questions. We have worked a lot in the past on the impact of technologies on the labor market. We have often seen worries about jobless futures. Those have not in the past materialized. In fact, before COVID-19, we had record employment rates in most OECD countries, despite the adoption of new technologies, despite automation. Um, and I don't want to go too much into detail here because we're, your question was very much forward looking. But one thing I do want to say is that even though we saw with previous technologies, we saw employment rates still at record highs. So we didn't see massive destruction of jobs. What we did see was a lot of change underneath the surface. So we saw we did see job destruction, but we also saw job creation. But the jobs that were created were not always the same as the jobs that were destroyed. There was a lot of upheaval. And what we did see is that some groups gained more and others lost out. And so you already mentioned low-skilled, high-skilled. What we saw in the past was that low-skilled workers struggled with uh, new technologies more than others, partly because it was mostly their jobs that were automated. And it was the high-skilled workers who benefited most from these technologies. We also saw very, we saw regional disparities in the impact of technologies with growing inequalities across regions. So now with AI, we have renewed fears about jobless futures. Uh, We have renewed fears about inequalities. And as you said, I think we're still at a very early phase. What we have seen, in fact, the OECD has collected some of the first, I think, robust evidence on what is actually happening in the labor market uh, as a result of AI. And it is early days. I think adoption rates of AI are still relatively low. What we see is that it's mostly large companies who are adopting these technologies at this point in time. It's also often companies who are still experimenting with these new technologies. And so when we think about the impact on jobs overall on unemployment levels, so far we haven't seen much of an impact. That's possibly because adoption rates are low, 
But even amongst companies that have adopted AI, it's a mixed picture with no clear evidence of real job losses overall so far. That's partly because companies are still experimenting, so they're reluctant to make workers redundant. Um, they want to hold on to workers. Some companies tell us that they want to hold on to workers because it's a very tight labor market and they don't want to you know, get rid of workers. They want to hold on to skills, so they redeploy workers. Others tell us that um, it's a gradual process, so it, it, it's they're not making workers redundant, but they, they don't hire anymore either. So they grow without... Um, without hiring new workers they do more with less and if they let workers go it's more through a kind of indirect process of attrition so people who retire people who quit voluntarily and that's consistent to some extent with what we've seen in the past so when we looked at occupations they were at high risk of automation very few of those occupations actually reduced employment levels but what we did see is that those occupations grew less fast than occupations that were less exposed to automation. And so the early evidence on AI suggests that we're seeing something similar. We might see less growth in those kind of firms and those occupations. You asked about differences between high and low skilled workers. So this is another interesting thing about AI is that AI has made most progress in occupations that um, are high skilled. So it's high-skilled workers now who are most exposed to developments in AI. And that's something new. That's something not that we haven't seen previously. But the early evidence suggests that that doesn't mean that it's now the turn of those occupations to be automated. In fact, the early evidence suggests that it's still low-skilled workers who are at highest risk, whereas high-skilled workers tend to it seems like they tend to benefit from these technologies again. Once again, it makes them more productive. Uh, it means that the services, the products they produce are higher quality and higher are become cheaper. And so demand increases. And again, it's those workers who will benefit in the end. And in fact, when we ask firms about the impact of AI, that's one thing that they tell us. It's the demand for high skilled workers will increase. And we also see that not just in terms of demand for their jobs and, and demand for these workers, but also in terms of the quality of their jobs. We did a survey in the manufacturing and finance sectors of two um, of eight OECD, seven, sorry, seven OECD countries. And, and generally, workers tend to be quite positive about the impact of AI on their working conditions and on their performance. But high-skilled workers tend to be more positive than low-skilled workers. So again, I, you know, going back to your question, I think AI risks increasing inequalities between high-skilled and low-skilled workers. The final thing I should say about AI is that I think AI is slightly different from previous technologies. Um, and while I don't want to be alarmist, I do think there are some cause for concern in the sense that AI will affect far more jobs than previous technologies have. It's a general purpose technology. It's likely to affect every single occupation in every single sector. So the scale of it is likely to be bigger than, say, what the impact of robots has been. And the other thing that concerns me a little bit about AI is the speed of development. And that, that matters because there's always change in the labor market. There's always job destruction and job creation, but that needs some time. And if the speed of it, if the speed of development and adoption is so high, one of the risks is that um, there's just this time of adjustment is not there and um, it yeah. might be too abrupt. So that, that's something else that I, that concerns me slightly. In the long run, I, I remain positive, but I may be proved wrong, who knows? Yeah, I totally agree with you. 
<clears throat> Thank you so much. I, I think uh, still uh, we need to follow uh, to see how really uh, AI impacts employment market. A lot of things will come uh, because you are totally right. The adoption level is quite uh, low. Uh, but another aspect I would like us to touch a bit is the social justice. So what do you think, how might these changes impact social justice in the workplace? And uh, I know that last uh, several decades, business actually effort to, uh, related to diversity, equi equity and inclusion. And uh, what do you think, actually, uh, talking about the risk, uh, uh, do we have risks that organizations afford uh, may be uh, suffering because of uh, these structural changes? So, I mean, going back to the point about inequalities is that I, I, I see a big risk of rising inequalities between low and high skilled workers. I see some risks for older workers, some risks also for younger workers. I think also gender. Um, gender is an interesting one. Um, I I think on gender, I sit on the I sit on the fence. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think so. Women tend to be less likely to be in occupations that are at very high risk for automation. On the other hand, women are less well-placed to take advantage of some of the new jobs that are emerging, which are often very technical jobs, um, jobs with where you need STEM skills. And we know that women are less represented in these kind of degrees and, and, and courses. So it's, it's a mixed picture, I think, on gender. Uh, in fact, when we ask employers, they also don't think that gender is a big risk group. Uh, they also don't think, for instance, that um, ethnicity or race is is a, is a big kind of concern. What they tell us, it's younger, older workers and low skilled workers. But there's also some groups that will benefit. For example, they tell us that people with disabilities are a group that yeah. are likely to benefit from AI technologies because there are lots of AI technologies that help people overcome some of the barriers that they face in the labor market. Now, this is my biggest concern going forward is these continued rising inequalities. But there are some things that we can do about it. And there's some things that companies can do about it. So from our research, we know that skills are very important. So upskilling training programs remain very important. In fact, when we ask workers about the impact of AI on their jobs, the workers who said they've received training to work with AI are the workers who are most positive about the impact of AI on their jobs. Now, of course, that doesn't mean any causality. It could just mean that the workers who are trained are the workers that employers thought would benefit anyway. But it's still a very stark picture. So I, I think from a company perspective, but also from a social and kind of government perspective, I think continue, continuing to invest in skills is really important to make sure that people can take advantage of these new technologies. Often the kind of training that is required to work with AI technologies is not very advanced training. We're not talking about AI technical skills in most cases. We're not talking about skills that are needed to develop or maintain these technologies. Very often what we're talking about is just very short training programs because many of these tools are very intuitive to use. If you have some basic digital skills, you can often interact with the tools and that that's often what's required. So I think continuing to investment in the training and the skills is important. The other thing that comes out of the research is the importance of social dialogue, the importance of consulting workers. So again, when we ask workers about the impact of these technologies on their jobs, the workers who are most 
positive about these technologies are the workers who say they work in a place where employers consult workers about the adoption and the introduction of new technologies. So again, I think that that kind of dialogue at the workplace level, even at the sector level, is really important to make sure that these technologies are beneficial, not only to employers, but also to workers, um, and that the adoption of these technologies is, is successful. So I would say that, yes, there are very important risks, but that there's also, we know there are some things that can help address these risks and reduce the risks. So I think, I think that it's important to continue investing in the dialogue and in the training as we move forward. Thank you so much. And uh, maybe the last question is uh, related to governments, actually, because we see that governments are responding to current landscape by developing regulatory frameworks to address AI-related issues and opportunities as well. Um, but at the moment, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, it seems that uh, we have lack of harmonized uh, regulatory approach. And um, uh, if so, could this potentially lead to a situation where AI laws pose a threat to the operations of organizations with global presence? And I'm talking about the short term, because in the long term, I'm sure that uh, the situation will be different. No, th this is a really important question. I wouldn't say we're in a regulatory vacuum at the moment, because many of the challenges of, that AI poses are already to some extent regulated by existing laws you know there, there are already many regulations in place that would and in most cases i think they would still apply to ai i think there are also there is a need to review the, the regulation um i mean i mentioned for instance the regulation around discrimination there are questions to what to the extent to which they apply to ai and uh, things around algorithmic management also there's there is some regulation, but again, where does accountability lie, responsibility lie? So I think there's, there is a need to review the regulation. And also, in some cases, I think governments or, or kind of, you know, European Union, for example, are developing new regulation that's specific to AI. So I think in some cases, some countries are identifying a need for new regulation. I think that's important to plug these regulatory gaps to address them. Because for firms, it creates the lack of, of clear regulation, the uncertain creates uncertainty, and it creates a an atmosphere where firms are not certain about the whether or not they can adopt and use certain technologies. And, and that uncertainty affects adoption. So creating a regulatory environment that's clear is really important to encourage the development of these technologies and to encourage the adoption of these technologies. For, I mean, just to give, give a very brief example, is the use of AI in recruitment. It is not clear to what extent the developer or the employer would be held accountable in case there's a case of discrimination at this point in time. And so clarifying this is really important because otherwise companies will be reluctant to adopt these technologies. And these are technologies that, okay, there are some risks, but they can also really help improve recruitment if it's done in the right way. So that's why regulation is really important. But then your question was about harmonization. And I think that that's, that's a really tricky one because we know that there are developments at the EU. We know that there's some, you know, there's talk about regulation or at least some soft law in the US. And in, we know that China has introduced regulation. And there really is a risk of fragmentation, um, which, and there's a risk also 
there might be a risk of a race to the bottom in, in, the, in, in the sense of, rate of, of standards. And so this international cooperation in terms of regulation, uh, in terms of, but also in terms of setting principles is, is, is really important. I think the OECD has played a, already an important role in this. In 2019, we published the OECD AI principles. It's been adopted by all OECD countries, but also by some non-OECD countries. It also formed the basis for the uh, G20 AI principles. I think these principles are very important for guiding the development of AI, for guiding the adoption and use of AI. In some cases, they might not be sufficient to avoid all risks. In some cases, some people might argue that there's a need for uh, additional regulation. But again, I think this is, I, I think organiza organizations like the OECD can play an important role. Uh, on the other hand, we have seen this also in the past with uh, regulation like the GDPR in Europe, that is often a standard setter, which then, you know, is followed by other regions in the world. And we might see this develop in the case of AI as well. Uh, it might take time, but uh, but you're right. I think this is, a, this is a big challenge going forward. And it's it's one that the OECD is aware of, that we will, we will think about it, certainly about how we address that and how we, we can help avoid this kind of fragmentation. Because again, the fragmentation will harm, development will harm, uh, adoption. And that's a situation I think we want to avoid. Many thanks to Stin for his insights, which I found not only interesting, but also very practical with some key takeaways for employers, such as to upskill your workers regularly and, of course, to keep communicating with them about changes. Always a good tip there. Um, we've just released our latest research on AI, consisting of an economic analysis and some thoughts from our lawyers on the possible impact of AI on their different areas of expertise. There's a link to all of this in the notes to this episode. We'll continue to focus on this subject very regularly, by the way as it's changing all the time. So do keep looking at our website, usetheboris.com. You can also find my details in the notes and you're always welcome to contact me for any advice you'd like on employment law. And I'll put you in touch with lawyers in our alliance in the countries you need. Thanks for listening and join us again. That's it for this episode of Talking Work. But we'll be back very soon with more insights from our guests from around the world. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. You can also visit usaboris.com to access all our content, resources and tools.